Welcome back, my friends, to the In Obscuria podcast, a podcast where we exhume obscure rock and punk and metal, and we put them in one of three categories, the lost, the forgotten, or the should-have-beens. My name is Kevin Williams, and I'm joined today by the utterly spooky Robert Harrison. You like my special effects makeup? Looks very eerily close to how you normally look. (laughs) (laughs) Those of you listening at home, I have a giant gash on my forehead from getting hit in the head with a two by four uh, <laughs> a couple of days yesterday. After. You are so Halloween. You are yeah. so in the spirit. It's October. You're ready you're go. ready for it. You're like, I'm just gonna my face. I'm just gonna bludgeon myself. <laughs> yeah, I forgot that part that I did it to myself. <laughs> <laughs> As many people over the years wanted to hit me in the head with a two by four. Were you juggling two by fours? What were you doing? No, I like all idiots. I was looking at my phone and walked into one that was sticking out the back (laughs) of my truck. (laughs) And it was so loud when my head hit this two by four that 30 feet away, there were some painters that actually stopped what they're doing and looked to see if I was going to drop to the ground. It was a very loud (laughs) thunk when I hit it. They all got their phones out, just ready to dial nine one one. Head nine one, just waiting. <laughs> looking at me, and I'm looking at them. And I'm just like, oh god, this is yeah. And it took about eight or nine seconds for it to really kick in, and I got a big knot on my forehead, a, a gash, and it looks it looks great. I mean, I'm scaring little kids at Home Depot now, so nice. That's my goal. Well, after you come to, go listen to the Slam Fest podcast, Metal Up Your Podcast, The Dummy Room, Pot of Thunder, Decibel Geek podcast rock city and let me pause there the fellows over at podcast rock city had me on their show last sunday night and i won the game finally i'm not the biggest loser so yes sunny hollywood pony put together a bunch of questions that myself jody and joe had to answer and mr pony is that how he goes pony mr pony yes you haven't met sunny yet you'll like sunny but anyway i came out on top which is a first for me. I went from last to first. Big week for me. It felt good. Also, go listen to the Cobras and Fire podcast, Growing Up Rock, Rock Strikes 10, Kistry Science Theater, The Podcast, The Kiss Room, I Love It Loudcast, Ages of Rock, The Synaptic Empire, and, oh yeah, Monty's Rockcast. Come visit us at inobscuria.com. Like us, share us, recommend us, do all the stuff on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Hey, you should go over... And leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That's a genius idea. And guess what? What? We actually got one. Ding, ding, ding. Oh, my God. The world's have a line. And, of course, who is it from but the one and only Jeff Taylor. Thank you, Jeff. It's awesome, man. We're going to read this. So he says, Great Off the Beaten Path Podcast. That's the title. I love it. He says, I've been along for the ride since episode one of In Obscuria and have enjoyed every one. And I can't say that for all other podcasts. I look forward each week to what Kevin will dig up and how Robert will respond to it. They have great chemistry and crack me up a lot. Besides the great music and artists I discover, I always learn something, and I love that. If you love rock, metal, and punk, give this one a try. That's nice. Thank you, Jeff. Awesome. Thanks, we'll Jeff. That. We'll, that is, we'll send you a little something in the mail. Robert's going to send you a two-by-four. Two-by-four. <laughs> <laughs> got a little blood on the end. Yeah. Hey, before we go any further, let's not gloss over that pretty damn awesome intro we just listened to before the show started. Well, that's right. You just sprung that on me. You didn't, you didn't give it any setup. You didn't tell me, hey, listen to this. You just played it. I'm like, oh, wow, listen to this. Well, it is, it is thematic. officially October. It's, it is. It's the witching month. So we have three more episodes in October, and I just thought we should be festive yes and if you can name all of those intros that i combined into one oh hell no 
So they're all from different bands. Oh, I was thinking horror movies, but... No. No, no they're all from very famous mainstream, not obscure bands. Oh, well, you know, when I go back and listen to this podcast several times, like I always do each episode, just to make sure that I'm pretty professional, <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll see if I can figure that out. All right. Well, I'm sure I'm sure I'll hear from from someone, maybe maybe even Jason Kearney or Jeff Taylor or Bill Elam. See if you can figure it out before I can. They will probably get it before you do. I'm just no, guessing. I'm guessing. I'm, I'm going to get to listen tonight. They'll have to wait several days before this is posted. So mm, mm, okay. Even if you listen to it again, I'm not sure you're going to get them all. <laughs> Let's see. There's there's one, two. I think there's four. Four. I think there's four. And they're mainstream bands. Mainstream bands. The chicks. The chicks. Like Dixie Chicks, but they're not Dixie Chicks anymore. Is that it? You are incorrect, <laughs> sir. <laughs> oh, so oh, man. So we're, we're getting close to Halloween. So we're going to have today a little bit of a Halloween episode. We're going to have, like I said, three episodes that are going down the Halloween path. But first, we cannot not talk about the subject that hit everyone oh, yeah. all over the world yesterday. Like a two-by-four. Yeah, exactly. And and that is the death of one Edward Van Halen. And I'm sure every podcast will be doing a Van Halen tribute. We're not doing a Van Halen tribute. However, Van Halen is deeply rooted in the subject that we're going to talk about. Yeah, we can't just not acknowledge that. Exactly. Just because we're in obscurity doesn't mean we're not going to talk about yeah, Eddie. Because that's it's a big deal. I mean, it hit me the same way that Neil passing hit you. Yeah, you had a little bit more of a connection with him. I had a little bit more of a connection with it. maybe not more, but for me personally, it was more of a connection. And I have to talk about how when somebody like that passes, that it's not we're not just losing the person. In these two situations, we lost the bands too because mm-hmm. with Rush, they had announced they had retired, and of all the bands, I believe them that they were done as far as touring. But you always thought, hey, there's a chance. There's a chance they could, there could be a, some studio work. There could be a one-off reunion show or something Yeah, like I that. wanted the Rush Cruise is really what yeah, I exactly. wanted. Exactly. That would have been sweet. I would have yeah. signed up for that. So we, it just gave you hope that, hey, there's that one more thing possibly. But when Neil passed, you knew, hey, that's it. It's done. So you're mourning the loss of a band, even though you have all the recordings. But the band itself is done. And it's right. your own mortality because we grew up with these bands and we're not spring chickens anymore. And with Eddie, it was that way because there was always that talk of getting back together with fill in the blanks, right. Amy or Dave right. or somebody or, new or, or a tour where they do tour both. Where they do, oh, and that was the big one they, 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 every six months or five months, somebody was teasing that. And then Gary, Gary Sharon does the set changeover. He, yeah, he, he changes everything hands over the drink off of the side. Actually they did. I think Joking. I heard a show where Sammy was singing and they brought him on to do a song with Sammy. And I thought it was like in his hometown or something like that. And that was pretty cool. To That'd be Boston. Shot. Yeah, maybe Boston. Yeah. I don't know. But it was cool. So with Eddie, we knew, you know, you, Van Halen can survive with different singers. We've proved that. Mm-hmm. But without Eddie, they're done. And yeah, so Van Halen is, that, that way he is done. They will and never so be. There's one more band that we say, okay, done. And they're not making these bands anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. And we've talked about that ad nauseum. And so, there are versions of these bands that are they're good, but they're not making bands like these that are trendsetters that absolutely change the face of music. And musicians like Eddie, who come in and completely set the bar miles above what other musicians were setting the bar at. And so that was a heavy loss for me yesterday. It, it definitely made me sit down and just kind of take stock of the whole thing. So it was, it was a little rough yesterday. Yeah, and I noticed you, you posted... It obviously inspired you to pick up the guitar, even to just yeah. I don't just play, to play a lot, but 
I mean, and you posted said, that. I thought that was great, man. I just wanted to play something. Of course, like you can't play anything Van Halen because the Facebook censors will right. mute it. And so I just played some stuff, and it was just fun. Put on the, the music boots, yeah. my platform boots with flames on them, my favorite boots ever that we used 20 years ago on stage that almost broke my neck because they were so tall, and I wasn't used to wearing platform boots on stage. So they go back a long way, and it was fun to, to shake the rust off the fingers a little bit because he's one of the two people that made me want to pick up the guitar 30 years ago. And him and David Gilmore and mm-hmm. between those two people right there I knew I'd never ever be anywhere close to either one of them but it still gave me something to try for and I remember realizing the depth of Eddie's talent after playing guitar for a couple of years I started to get cocky and thinking oh yeah I'm getting really good I'm gonna learn how to play Eruption and so I wish I would have kept it but I had the tablature for Eruption which is insane <laughs> like what poor soul yeah, that's, to sit down and figure that out that's probably not the way to learn that song well I didn't have any other choice I mean I listened to it a million times but you don't know what the hell he's playing because he's making up stuff as he goes I mean just completely inventing new ways to play and so it took me about 10 minutes into that to realize the depth of his talent and it just kind of hit me that oh my god this guy is just several levels above everything else that I know so what is your Van Halen story? Like, when did you discover Van Halen? How old were you? And when did you first see Van Halen? It's, I can't remember what came first. A friend of mine, wherever in his house, this is probably junior high school, 1982, 83, I think, is when he said, oh, hey, there's this Van Halen. We're talking about music, and he put on this album. And I can't remember which one it was now, but it was one of the early albums. And then right after that, 1984 came out. And that's when you had a Walkman. But my friend was cool, and he had speakers, not headphones, but speakers that were plugged that in. That you plugged locker. in. Yeah, I remember those. Yeah, and so he had it in his locker. And we have <laughs> you know, five minutes between class to get from A to B and navigate the hallways of a junior high school that was massive. And I remember stopping by his locker, which was near mine. He's like, hey, check this out. It's the new Van Halen. And he played Jump with the synthesizer. So I'd heard uh, Van Halen without synthesizers and all of a sudden it's synthed out. I'm like, oh my, and it hit me. And that's when it just grabbed me that this was something special. And then I went and got the album, wore that out. But the best times for me were right after that, Van Hagar, 1987, 5150, my white 87 Camaro with 12 inch pile driver speakers in the back and the custom made cabinet, 200 amp, Amplifier, 200 watt amplifier, and my EQ on the dashboard. <laughs> it didn't do a damn thing, but it looked great. And wearing out that cassette, 5150, and that is the soundtrack to my high school. You, the, just the best times. Just right before responsibility kicked in at about 18 years old, having to go off to school and things like that. But that year and a half period was you know prime time for me, and that will always be associated with hot summer nights. In Florida, they were damn hot summer nights yeah. down there, sweltering hot summer nights. So now, that was did me. you go see the tour when they came no, close? No, we were no. in the middle of nowhere. They didn't come anywhere close to us. But Fort Walton Beach was two hours away from. You have to go to Tampa or somewhere. Tampa. Yeah, yeah, Pensacola was an hour away, and they wouldn't. They, they skipped over that. It was too small of a market. So New Orleans was too far. Tampa was too far. I didn't see big shows until I moved over to Tallahassee. So that was Metallica was my first big show. But no, I didn't get to see them until they were in their kind of retirement years coming through town. I think you and I saw When them. we saw them with, with Roth? Yeah. They, okay. Yeah, so I did get to see them. It wasn't a situation where I saw them 10 times. And I can tell you about different shows. Right. It was a tribute tour. You know, they're, they're coming through just doing their thing. And we got to see the whole act of Daily Roth. <laughs> I, was, I was glad to see that because yeah. I didn't think I'd ever see it. So I only saw Van Halen twice. So my, my story is, I remember, because 1984 is right when I was discovering music in general, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because of 
Friday night videos. Again, we didn't have MTV. We had Friday night videos. And my sister, who's three years older than me, she was starting to buy albums. And I remember she bought the single, the 45, for Jump. And I bought Come On, Feel the Noise. And so we were we would kind of play those and trade them back and forth. And she was, you know, she was playing stuff like the Go-Go's and Culture Club mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. But she, for some reason, she liked Van Halen. And she had Diver Down and she had just the 45 for Jump. I can't remember what was on the back side of that one for some reason. Yeah, I never bought hmm. the single, so I'll yeah, I don't. Say. I don't remember what was on it, but I, I know that I wore it out, and so that was kind of all I knew. And then I remember my my good friend Connor Tindall when Fifty One Fifty came out, he jumped all over that, and he was really into that. But it it didn't hit me until uh, after the album had been out for a while, and. I started um, really getting into music in the station I've mentioned several times, uh, WXRC. It was a, an AOR station that we had that was based out of Hickory, North Carolina. They had a Sunday night show, and I forget what it was called. It was Alan Handelman was the, the name of the DJ, and he had the show, and he would play these old uh, interviews that he had, and he did a whole Van Halen show. And I listened to that, and when I heard all the old stuff from all the old albums, it just immediately hooked me. And so that's when I started diving into the back catalog, and then I started really getting into the Sammy stuff as well. And my very first concert ever was Connor's uncle, who was a big influence on us to to pick up guitars because he was a bass player and he had been in a band that opened for Quiet Riot, which back in the 80s, that was a big deal. And so he kind of inspired us. He's like, here, you can have my old gear and you guys just do your thing. And, and he said, I, if you if there's a show you want to see, he lived in Charlotte. So he lived about 45 minutes, an hour away from us. He said, if there's a show you want to see, I'll take you guys to it. Because we were only 14, 15. And sure enough, Van Halen was coming to town with the OU812 tour. Mm. So it was the second album with Sammy. And I love that album. I know most people who are really into Van Halen for some reason don't like that album. I love it. And that was my first show. And Joe got us seventh row tickets. And so first show ever, I still remember what Sammy and Eddie were wearing. And I still remember getting hit with their sweat. That's how close (laughs) we were because they're jumping all over the place back Uh then. And Eddie just blew me away. I mean, he was just wearing jeans that night. He was wearing jeans and a, a yellow T-shirt. And I remember that. I'm like, wow. He's just that was eighty nine. That 80? was uh, eighty eight. Eighty eight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he started getting away from the jumpsuits. Yeah, he he just you know he wasn't doing like the fifty one fifty. They were doing kind of the Miami Vice kind of look. Yeah, <laughs> I was glad they weren't doing that. Although I think Sammy was still doing that at that point. He was wearing like a khakis and a white button up, which was kind of weird. But anyway, I. I vividly remember that show and my ears were just blown because I was not accustomed to that volume. And I'm walking out of the arena, it's the Charlotte Coliseum, and I don't know how, but somebody grabs me and I have on my jean jacket with all the patches on it and somebody grabs me and it is a local newscaster and he's asking me questions about the show. I can't hear a damn thing. What? Huh? I was like, that was great. Huh? What? Yeah, yeah, Albuquerque. That's a great town. Yeah, I've been there three times. Yeah. I never saw it, so I, I can only imagine. I wish I wish I could find it. I'm sure it's it's been That's exactly deleted a long time wanted. ago. They wanted to get somebody at this. Hey, man, some it's a idiot. Great show. Some idiot with a mullet. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I remember in college, my uh, I lived with my cousin, my roommate Frankie. Anyway, long stories about him. He worked part time as a, a roadie, so the local roadie. He didn't travel, but the local civic center, whenever shows would come in, he would get extra work there, and so. Van Halen's in town, and he's like, hey, you want me to get you something? I'm like, yeah, man, give me something. Give me something to Eddie's. He's like, all right. So he comes home, walking the door. He's like, man, I got you a set of strings. I'm like, no way, man. You got And he hands them to me. They're bass strings. I'm like, dude, these are Michael Anthony's. He's like, what? 
no, they're strings. I'm like, they're from a bass, dumbass. <laughs> hey, that's still those. cool. That's still, that's still cool. super I, cool. They got lost in a move, but I just remember the, just the air coming out of me. I was like, yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> we, we were talking earlier before we, we jumped on the podcast that Michael Anthony is so underrated as Absolutely. a as a musician in general. I mean, his, his vocals made that band along that. with Eddie's guitar. Yeah. You that's what made together. that band. He makes any singer sound amazing because he can pull those harmonies off perfectly live, which I've got mad respect for. I've had to do that. Sometimes sound systems aren't the best. Sometimes monitors aren't working well. But you look at so much of their live footage, and no matter what everybody else is doing, he's nailing it every single time. Yeah, and you could even way up there. You could even say that about Alex. I mean, he's kind of an underrated drummer because that guy's a monster. But yeah. you don't really hear about him like you do Neil Peart. No, you know? no, he's but he's, he's an a amazing monster. Drummer, but he's in a band with Eddie Van Halen. <laughs> right, his brother. So it doesn't matter how good you are. His brother outshined him. Yeah, and he was he was happy with that. I mean, I, I, as far as I know, I didn't ask him, but it seemed like he he just was cool being the drummer in this band, not trying to be the biggest personality. Like Motley Crue, they all tried to out douchebag themselves. <laughs> yeah. Everybody trying to, and they've done it really well. And they've done such a good job <laughs> with that. Yes, talk but, about a band that I I loved at one point, and then just my because of the way they act, my love of them. It's just yeah. I, that last time we saw them, Alice Cooper blew them off the stage. He was a professional. I mean, he at whatever age he is, just did, put on an amazing show. He's got to be twenty years older than them. Yeah, maybe maybe fifteen. Just I don't know. Completely but, clean their anyway. Yeah. Anyway, we're, they, they they look like idiots compared to him. But back to Van Halen. Uh, this isn't a Van Halen show, but I, yeah. I wanted to make sure we talked about it. And we are going to kind of lead into our topic today, which has something to do with Eddie a little bit. All right, so it is October. It is Halloween season, getting closer and closer. So today, let's talk about Mr. Scary. Mr. Scary. Mr. Scary. Do you know what who Mr. Scary is? No. Okay, well, once I say it, you'll be like, oh, yeah. Is this wrestling? Nope. So when I was... I'm going to talk about my first date. <laughs> when I was in the eighth grade... Short story, right? This is a very short story. <laughs> <laughs> when I was in the eighth grade, I went on my very first date with uh, this girl who had the same last name as me. Oh, yeah, because you're, you're from the South. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's related. Could have been a cousin. I don't know. Uncle Daddy. Uncle Daddy. <laughs> so uh, where do we go? Of course, in the eighth grade, the only place you can go in our little town was to the movie theater. We had this old-style movie theater. It downtown. only had two theaters. It was Yeah, it was a downtown. It's actually really close to my dad's office, his dental office. Talk about Mr. Scary. <laughs> Yeah, so I go on my first date with this girl, and she's, I think, a year younger, so she's in seventh grade, and there's two. there are two movies playing. The movie that I was supposed to go see, according to my parents, because the other movie was an R-rated movie, mm-hmm. the movie I was supposed to go see was called Hoosiers, which was a basketball f- oh, yeah. film about yeah. uh, basketball. Indiana. Mm-hmm cornfields basketball team in the 50s or 60s or something i don't know i didn't see it i went to the other movie which is where the enormous line was because it was opening night of nightmare on elm street three three whoa yeah so that was my first date with this young lady scary movies they want to what get closer oh yeah yeah so i I remember we we did a little of that and i was very happy i was a very happy boy that night and at the end of the movie the name of the movie was nightmare on elm street three dream warrior and at the end of the movie, this really awesome song came on. And I'm like, whoa, what is that? And it was Dokken. Oh, nice. Yeah. As he shows off his shirt. Yes. It says Dokken. Yes. So it was Dokken. And I didn't know anything about them at that time. But I knew this song, Dream Warriors, was really, really cool. Dream Warriors. 
So we're not gonna just we're not gonna talk about Dokken. I think Dokken had enough platinum albums that yeah, we probably don't need to cover them. Obscure at all. But what we are gonna do is similar to what we did with Extreme. This is gonna be about Mr. Scary, which is the guitarist for Dokken. His name is George Lynch, mm-hmm. and he played a very famous guitar in the Dream Warriors video that looked like a skull and skeleton. And that guitar is called Mr. Scary. Ah. So this is okay. episode 48, Degrees of Separation, George Lynch. You actually mentioned last week on our Glam episode that you wanted to talk about George Lynch. Yeah. So I was like, hmm, all right, let's do it. Because George Lynch is not one to sit down and rest. The man has been in a ton of groups. So this is degrees of separation. So remember what we do with this is we talk about solo material, other bands and projects outside of what you typically associate this artist with. So George Lynch, there are two bands that you would probably associate him with, Dokken being one and the lynch mob being the other one. So we're going to cover a lot of other stuff because he's done a lot of other things. Now, George Lynch was born in 1954. He's 66 years old now. He's an American hard rock guitarist. And like I said, he's best known for working with Dokken and then the lynch mob. And he's considered to be one of the most influential and famous 1980s metal guitarists next to his peers in Tinseltown who were Eddie Van Halen Mm -hmm. and Randy Rhodes. So back in the early late 70s and early 80s, those three guys were the guys that everybody was watching in the L.A. scene before the L.A. scene became what it would morph into, which is this hair metal mecca. So those three guys and all three of them obviously went on to do amazing things. So who is George Lynch? He's, He's ranked number 68 on the 100 greatest guitarists of all time by Guitar World. I think that's a little low, to be honest. He's ranked number he's ranked number ten on the top ten metal guitarist of all time by Gibson Guitars, yeah, right. which is interesting because he doesn't play Gibson guitars. You know, hey, they know they know talent. They know talent. So, like I said, I discovered them on my first date, and also that same year of my first date, my cousin Robbie, who was a year older than me, he had the Casingle for Dream Warriors. I remember the Casingles. Yes. Yeah, we talked about those, and uh, I wore that out that because we used to skateboard to it. That's, that was the year that we were heavy into skateboarding. And we listen to punk music and Dream Warriors for some reason. Yes. I don't. They don't go together. No, but not at all. They do for me. Still, that's why we do rock and metal and punk. The other songs that were on that single, there was a song called "Paris Is Burning," which I absolutely loved as well. Which is another Dawkins song. A little bit more about George. So he started playing at age 10 and he was originally from Spokane, Washington. He moved to LA in the late 70s and that's when he became part of that that burgeoning scene in LA hard rock and his his band was called The Boys. That was his original band. So you had Randy Rhodes in Quiet Riot, you had George Lynch in The Boys and then you had Van Halen who was, you know, the little band from Pasadena that would come into town and just blow everybody away from time to time. So those were the three big acts and out of all of those bands, those members came and went and formed a whole bunch of different bands that we know about in the 80s. Now, one of the things that I thought was interesting is Lynch and Van Halen especially used to compete with, with their leads. You know, it was, a, it was a healthy competition. And both of them, uh, there, I read articles where both of them at some points would turn their back to the audience when they would do their solos so that if the other guy happened to be in the room, that he wouldn't see the tricks that Eddie's doing. Make the noises. And that George, you know, wouldn't show Eddie uh-huh. what he's learned because, like I said, these guys were really competing. I didn't I didn't read that Randy was doing that. No, but, Randy was doing that. You know, Randy was more classically trained, I yeah. think, than the others. But, you know, George and 
and, and Eddie are very similar in their approaches to guitar. And I would I would say that George had a lot of tricks up his sleeve as well that, you know, I don't know if Eddie adopted any of those. I don't know if he had to, but uh, they were very similar in their styles. So kind of interesting that we're talking about George Lynch this week when, yeah. when what just happened with Eddie. So now George joined Doc in, in the early 80s in between uh, when the boys were around and then they morphed into another band called Exciter. And he wrote a bunch of songs with Exciter. And I believe Mick Brown, who would be the drummer for Dokken, he was also an Exciter. So he and George were always together. But he joined Dokken and Mick joined Dokken in the early 80s. And they're really best known for releasing four full lengths from 81 to 87. It's a pretty short stint when you think about people still know who Dokken is. But really, it was 81 to 87. Three of those albums went platinum. Their first one did not. It went gold, I believe. But the other three went went platinum. So you had Tooth and Nail, um, you had Under Lock and Key, and Back for the Attack. Those all went platinum. They, you know, I remember they toured with the, that big Van Halen Monsters of Rock. So you had Eddie and, and George on the oh, Monsters of Rock stage. tour, and, and Metallica was on that. Scorpions were on that. That was an amazing, amazing uh, kingdom come. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on. On the same stage. <laughs> <laughs> so they broke up in 89 because it's very well documented that George Lynch and Don Dockin do not like each other at all. And that happens in bands sometimes. Yeah, so those guys could not get along. And they broke up in 89 when most of those bands were just really hitting their stride with their mega, mega success. But he goes on and he forms the Lynch Mob. And the Lynch Mob, most people only think they released two albums. It's not quite the case. But in 90 and 92, that's when they released the two albums that most people think of. And and the one in 90 did really well for him as well. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't docking, but it was pretty close. So that's what most Fairweather fans know of George Lynch, is the 80s output and the early 90s output. Now, Lynch Mob would go on over the years to release 11 more albums. George Lynch himself has 12 solo releases, and he has 11 project-based groups, as well as appearing on, on numerous artists' albums as guest guitarists. There were so many artist that he's been a guest guitarist on that I, I couldn't even I couldn't even keep track of it as I was looking all of it up. It's ultimate studio guitar player. It well it's obvious he never sits still. You know, he's just always going. And I don't know if you've I don't know if you saw him the way he looked in the eighties and then when he kind of reemerged, he took a little bit of a break in the nineties and then when he reemerged he was like huge. He he got into really working out. So he he became like this huge almost bodybuilder looking guy. With the same gym. <laughs> I don't know. I think he moved to Arizona or something. So we're gonna start the night with I'm gonna jump all over the place, but I do wanna start with his first band, his first recordings, which the boys, to my knowledge, didn't have any recordings, but the next version of the boys did, and that's Exciter. So the boys disbanded somewhere around 78, 79. It was hard to find exact dates for some reason. The members, minus the singer, went on to form the band Exciter, and they spelled it with just an X, no E-X, so Exciter. And like I said, Mick Brown, who was also in Dokken as the drummer, was in this band. And they, um, I guess the biggest piece of history with, with Exciter is, and this is another thing that was kind of unclear, if they were still the boys or if they were Exciter, but what happened was they were to play a showcase for Gene Simmons because Gene Simmons was, wanted to get into producing in the late 70s. Mm-hmm. Now, the opener for that show was Van Halen, and Gene didn't even stay to see Exciter because he saw Van Halen and immediately afterwards went and started talking to Eddie and David Lee Roth. Nice. And so... so who, know, who knows if the order had been changed? You know, one of those things where the other band played first. Yeah, so he, he never even saw George play. And I don't know why, why would they have Van Halen open for him. 
but they did. And it's it's well known that Gene Simmons helped Van Halen get their deal. In fact, he tried to be their producer and shop it. And for whatever reason, I think Casablanca didn't want to deal with them, but they ended up getting picked up, I believe, by Warner. Mm. So is the story of Van Halen and not Exciter. <laughs> Now, the other thing during this time, late 70s, uh, George also auditioned for Ozzy Osbourne, who had just gone out on his own, and he lost out to his Randy adversary, Rose. Randy Rhodes. Don't! <laughs> so he, had a ba- he had a bad start to yeah. his career. So he lost out with the, the Kiss connection with maybe getting signed, and then he lost out to Randy Rhodes. So again in 82, after he had joined Dokken, he actually tried out for Ozzy again and lost out to Jake E. Lee. Oh, damn. That's got to <laughs> suck two times. But he was already in Dokken, so yeah. at least, you know, he was already doing he, something. He already knew he wanted to make a move, though. He probably already saw well, He probably already hated Don. Yeah, it probably took 10 minutes. Yeah. Like, why well, I got to work with this guy who's named the band after himself? <laughs> <laughs> Y'all would be in Van Halen. Oh, wait. No. Oh, wait. No, that doesn't work. <laughs> so they're... They recorded some some demos. They actually didn't come out until 2006, so they're only they've only recently, more recent years, been released. But there's several Dokken songs in their kind of infancy on this album, which is interesting. And Dokken would would later recycle those in the recordings. And the one that that I love that was on that single is one of the songs, "Paris Is Burning." So that's what I'm going to play because that was on the first Dokken single that I ever heard, and I actually love this song. So I'm going to play the Exciter version of Paris is Burning from Exciter 1979-ish, maybe.
who was the lead singer in that? I will have to look it up. Oh, okay. sure. I didn't know if it was anybody that was known or he went on to do anything else, but damn, it's got a pretty good voice. I would say almost better than Don Dockin. <laughs> <laughs> Slightly. Uh, I, I like Don Dockin's voice, but he, he's not the most powerful singer. There no. Is. Yeah, I'd have to look that up. I didn't know. I was just curious. But the comparisons with Van Halen prior to that song, obviously the beginning of the song, I, I started thinking, oh, it's hot for teacher. <laughs> just <laughs> a slightly different drum yeah, rhythm. Yeah, wild Mick, man. Yeah, but uh, it didn't strike me as a competitor for Eddie until towards the end when he kicked in that lead and then it was really obvious where the similarities come in. Right. It was like all of a sudden out of nowhere he goes from just a really good guitarist to oh it's one of those guitarists. Yeah, I don't think his songwriting was there yet, no. like the Van Halen brothers and, and Roth were. No, and this the subject matter, too, makes all the difference in the world. Van Halen was not a metal band. They were a rock band. And party rock. Party rock, and they kind of cornered the market on that. Well, and, they, they could sell that in a time when disco was in vogue. Yeah, in a and time where rock, hard was, rock not. was not. No, it was not the time, but it was poppy enough where it was grasped by the general public, and it wasn't a niche band and that's why they did so well throughout their whole career yep. they always were by themselves always they weren't above. a metal band yep. they weren't a hair band they dabbled in some of the hair with the hairspray and stuff but they weren't a hair band and then they they evolved into the 90s and and on throughout that so they not to keep harping back to that but still that's one reason why that maybe gene saw that early on and went you know what this is all i need is, <laughs> is something like this he didn't even give these guys a chance yeah. so he doesn't even know doesn't but even know. I, I would say they probably weren't ready for what and even van halen it took it wasn't immediate for them even with gene's help mm-hmm. in fact like i said i don't think casablanca i think they passed on him i don't think gene could get them to to pick them up so anyway i, th- I think it was a good first start and that song again is kind of special song. for me it's yeah. a good song it's a bl- that, that blistering song Love the chorus, and Dawkins does do a better job of it. And the reason Dawkins does a better job of it is not just Don Dawkins' voice, but the harmonies, just like Van Halen, the bass player for Dawkins, Jeff Pilson, the reason that Dawkins was so strong with their vocals was not Don. It was because Jeff was behind him, and Jeff could sing his ass off. And we'll actually talk about that a little bit later. Next, I am going to go to a band that it's a project, but it's more of a band than some of the other projects that he's done. A lot of the things that George has done has been kind of one and done, true projects. And while this band, I don't believe they've ever toured, they have released three albums with this same trio. And this was one of the groups that I was going to feature on our very first Degrees of Separation. Do you remember what band we talked about the very first time we did Degrees of Separation? Dude, I don't remember what I had for lunch I, today. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> So the first time we did a Degrees of Separation, we talked about King's X. Oh, okay. And I mentioned that we could do probably three more episodes on King's X alone because they have that many yes. projects that they've done. Well, this is one of those bands, so we, I don't have to wait for the next King's X one. We're going to do it here with George Lynch because George Lynch and Doug Pennick and Ray Luzier from Corn formed a band called KXM, which the K comes from Corn, mm. the X comes from King's X, and the M comes from Lynch Mob. Mm. So they just put that together yeah. to make a really bad KXL, name. KXL, yeah. Yeah, well, they went M. with KXM. M sounds better, which yeah. really doesn't sound better at all, but that's what they went with. <laughs> they thought it did. But it is kind of a, you know, it's a super group, and you've got an amazing drummer, you've got an amazing bass player and singer, mm-hmm. and like I said, that that dude could sing the phone book, and I would buy it. Uh, Doug Pinnock, amazing. So this is, I'm, I'm actually looking forward to playing this for you. They began in 2013 when the three met at Ray's, this is the drummer, they met at his son's birthday party. 
<laughs> and Ray said, "Hey, come come to my home studio. Let's, we should put a band together. Why don't we? Why don't we do something?" And put the kids running around screaming, yeah, I'm sure kids and screaming, knocking around. stuff yeah. over. And the dads are like, "Hey, man, come on here. Come yeah. here. Let's let's get out of here." And so yeah. here we are, three full length albums later. <laughs> <laughs> I can but, see you doing that. Yeah, but it's this is more of a because you have Doug and because you have such a Ray is such a bombastic player. I mean, he he's just technically he's got chops out the wazoo because of that and because George, what you'll find as we play this, he's not just what you heard and what he's known for. Mm. He he can really stretch out into jazz. He can really stretch out into just all sorts of places with his guitar work, and he's done so in his projects. But this is more of an experimental progressive kind okay. of thing. So it grooves. It's got that soul because everything Doug Pennick touches has that soul, mm. but it's much more on the experimental progressive side which is probably the reason that I really love it. So in 2017, they released their second album called Scatterbrain. And that's probably my favorite of the three that they have. And one of the things that I'll mention is, especially in the last 10 years, George really could not sit still because he releases multiple albums with multiple projects a year. This came out in 2017, what I'm about to play. He also released a Lynch Mob album that same year, and he released the second Sweet and Lynch album and a documentary movie that he produced. Of course. So all that in 2017. He did the album cover art, didn't he? (laughs) <laughs> he probably did. Yeah, so we'll we'll talk about all of that later, but it's just amazing output from this guy who's, you know, he's getting up there. He's in his 60s now, yeah, but but he's he, he looks he's fit as can be. Like I said, he's a, stay he's young, a bodybuilder keep guy. He's Once a, you start sitting around the house doing nothing, that's the end. But he smokes too cuz I've watched the documentary and he's chain smoking the whole time too. So he better George, watch out. Stop watch smoking. out George. Stop, stop smoking. It's never too late. Buddy Eddie just suffered from that. Damn. So I'm going to play Noises in the Sky. This is off KXM's second album, Scatterbrain. Go check out everything they put out, but we'll see what you think, Robert, when we get back. Can hear, yeah. 
right, that was the absolute nastiest, filthiest sounding bass I have ever heard. That's Doug Pinnock. It just, <laughs> God, I, I need a shower after listening to that. That's, and that's a good thing. It was, it was really good. Just the fuzziness of that. It sounds like he's playing a two-ply hefty. Oh, I mean, yeah. It was that nasty. He gets a gnarly, gnarly tone God, out of that bass. I've never heard that. So how that was how cool. about maybe the guitar work? Oh, yeah, yeah, that there. too. All right, so <laughs> oh other than that, I loved the slow crescendo of the whole arrangement. It just oh, yeah. built and built and built, and you were rewarded with a pretty wicked cool lead at the end, thanks to George. So that was that was a nice payoff at the very end for me, That because that's what I was listening for specifically, yeah. thanks to this episode. Obviously, the singing's great, everything else is great, but... But yeah, it's like the very end. All of a sudden, we'll just get a few more in. Let tonight. it rip. We'll get a few more in yeah. for you. This is probably my favorite project that he has, just because I can see that I'm a big yeah. Doug Pinnock fan and big Kings X fan. And if he didn't choose Doug to sing on a project that he has, there's another singer who I would like him to choose, and he actually did it. And we're going to play that later. Okay. So he, after the commercial break, he's had <laughs> after the commercial break, he's had um, two of my favorite singers of all time. On his projects. Really? Pretty amazing. Sonny Lopper's on there. Yeah. I, <laughs> Liberace came Liberace. back from the dead. <laughs> All right. So I mentioned that he had a movie that came out, and I actually watched this documentary, documentary. last weekend. It's a documentary that came out last weekend. It's only 67 minutes, so it's... That's my attention span. I can yeah, do that. it worked for me. We have to do this podcast over like three or four days because it's hard for me to pay attention for two hours. So just <laughs> for... Disclosure, behind the scenes, this actually takes three or four days to record. So I'll give you a little of the background on this thing, and then we'll talk about some of the music that's in it. But it was released in 2017. He actually began work on this thing in 2011. So it took quite a while to complete. And he announced plans for this documentary in 2011. He was going to call it Shadow Train Under a Crooked Sky. And the whole thing, so he lives out in the West. I think he's in Arizona or somewhere around there. And the whole thing is about the destruction of Native American communities. It's it's a pretty depressing documentary mm-hmm. because it, it really talks about the plight of the modern Native American mm-hmm. and just... I mean, talk about there should be a hashtag Red Lives Matter because, I mean, what these people go through in this documentary is like, wow, they are treated like the scum of the earth. And it's, it's, it's horrible. And they even go through the history of everything that our pretty amazing country has done to these people over the time. Over a long period of time. And, and all of the things, all the promises and treaties and things that were never, no. never came they to They last about 10 years and they changed their mind. The movie was crowdfunded. That's probably one of the reasons it wasn't released until 2017. And he changed the name of it to Shadow Nation. But what he did was, it's, it's kind of interesting because it's based around him traveling throughout the the western united states with a band that is not anyone that he's played with before i believe i think they're all activists mm-hmm. who happen to play music as well and so everybody's very passionate about making this documentary and talking about the plight of the the modern day native american and everybody's an activist and they do marches and all this stuff on these um, reservations that they go to so they're basically touring reservations mm-hmm. and they're doing it in like old beat up trucks and stuff. It's not glamorous at all. It's real rough and it's a good watch. It's a bit of a weird movie because it's almost shot like I think the drummer shot it for one. Mm-hmm. I think he's a you know, docu- documentarian, I guess is the word. But he shot it almost like it was a music video. So it's like half music video, half documentary, and it's kind of mishmashed. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you get like weird scenes with fire in the background. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. it's shot like a, almost a like an eighties or nineties music video. Girls 
bikinis dancing on a pole. And, and then, then it gets really serious. Yeah. Uh, so it's a little little bit of an odd watch, but it's only 67 minutes, so it's kind of fun in a way, but it's not fun from the content standpoint. But anyway, they're touring the West, and they're going to these reservations, and they're just basically talking to people and talking about what the different tribes have been through throughout their existence since mm-hmm. the white man came. And, it's, you know, it's just kind of heartbreaking in some ways. But he was touring at that point. This They were calling the band Shadow Train, and so they would march in these events, and they'd had shadow train on their banners and things like that and they called themselves shadow train the band did and i believe the singer is actually either full or half native american himself mm-hmm. that's in the band but then they released the movie and the, the movie's called shadow nation um and then so the, the movie like i said got released in 2017 but in 2015 george decided to release the soundtrack if you will to this album two years prior to the movie coming out and he just put it under his name so it's george lynch solo album it's the last solo album that he's done mm-hmm. And it's the name of the album is Shadow Train instead of the name of the band. So he kind of switched things around. And it has a lot of different types of music because I believe what he was trying to do is trying to match the mood of the different places he was going so that he could match it up to the documentary mm-hmm. eventually. But it's got all sorts of styles on it from blues to modern rock to metal to in your face, even almost kind of new metal in some ways. But it's very interesting. I'm going to play a song called Power and Resistance from this album, Shadow Train. Anything I play from it won't sound like the next song. So I'm just picking a song that I, I happen to like. And I mentioned that I'm going to say what else he released in, in the years, especially in the 20-teens, because he just did multiple things. So in 2015, he released this album and also the first Sweet and Lynch album. So we'll talk about that in a few minutes. But And he was making the documentary at the same time. So very prolific person. This is Power and Resistance from Shadow Train 2015.
layer upon layer of George all over that song. That was fascinating to listen to the uh, lead, how it would layer in, come in and coming out as the same guy, but different sounds, different styles within the same lead, just showcasing the how wide his talent is. I mean, like I said, he's got, he's he's got, got that skills s- all over the map. I mean, he's he can be a bit of a chameleon with his guitar playing, but you still know it's him yeah. when, you, when you really listen to it. And he's got such sustain. There's a certain way that he bends his mm-hmm. notes just unlike anybody else. So that's kind of the one thing I key in on when he's playing Lee's. Like, I know it's him because of the way he does the sustain on his guitar. I'll have to listen for that. What I love about that song and really that whole album is just, it's all over the board. And it's, it, it's but it is the same listen. musicians in each song or is it rotating it is. in and it's, out? It's the band that he was touring with. Yeah. So they've got different sounds and styles on each song, but it's the same musicians. It's the same musicians. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if, because in the documentary, he is visiting with other artists and singers and mm-hmm. musicians as they do the tour. So what I don't know, because I only have the download. Yeah, there's no liner notes. There's no liner notes that I've read. So I don't know if he has special guests on some yeah. of these or not, but it's a possibility. Still, it's probably the majority of the same people. But it sounds like the same band to me. And what's a little bit unique about this, too, is that I believe this might be the only band that he has an actual keyboardist in. So he has a keyboard player in this. Okay. So some of that, that cool stuff you were hearing, and yeah. maybe even the harmonies might have been the keyboards playing with him. But that song reminded me a little bit of more modern era of kind of hard music, because it reminded yeah. me a little bit of Muse, and it reminded me a little bit of Dream Theater. Oh, a little bit. Dream Theater, yeah. yeah with all Late, the later, area, yeah. later era. That's what I got from that. But I, it's a really interesting, because the next song would be a, like a, a blues song and then there'd be like a country kind of right. theme to go with where they're traveling. Well, he's having fun it sounds like. But it's well thought out. And one thing I will say about the documentary although it's a little bit of a weird mix of visual styles in the mm-hmm. documentary the content is very good. A good job of telling the story from a modern perspective but also from a historical perspective mm-hmm. to get you up to speed with you know what's going on with the different tribes and why they are the way they are and, and what they're going through. And then George just comes off as a really smart dude. <laughs> I mean he's he just he's well spoken. Yeah. He knows the he's material. He's, he's not done just a read lot a of research. And he also is very empathetic. He's very good at talking to people. So it's almost like you you forget that he's this amazing rock star was this amazing rock star, rock god, guitar god. Yeah that he is and he's just a dude who's really smart and is talking to people and listening to their story connecting and them. connecting with them so he comes across really well I, I have a new uh, newfound respect for him after watching it not many of those people from the 80s can qualify for that the, yeah. a lot of the guitar players the guitar the rock stars things like that hey they might have you know been decent people but not to that level yeah he's he's definitely on a different level you just you get this sense that this guy's IQ is a little higher than most <laughs> is all I'm saying but that also makes sense when you listen to his playing. His yeah. IQ is probably a little bit higher. He's thinking 20,000 <laughs> steps ahead. So the, the next band we're going to talk about is the band that I mentioned released their first album at the same time as the Shadow Train record, which is Sweet and Lynch. Now, the sweet in this group is not the sweet who oh, we talked about last week. I was getting week. excited about yeah, that. No, no, no. This is another super group. So the sweet in this particular group is Michael Sweet from Striper. So you're laughing. You know what to hell with that devil. That's all I got to say. <laughs> yeah, so it's Michael Sweet who is the, they're, they're two sweet brothers in Striper. One plays drums and one plays guitar and sings. Michael Sweet is also a guitarist. He's a badass guitarist mm-hmm. on his own. So he and Oz Fox in Striper, they trade off leads. And actually a lot of the, the leads that I like the most in the Striper songs are usually Michael's, but he's a badass himself. But in this band, he takes a little bit of a backseat and lets George do his thing, uh, although he plays on it as well. But 
but I can tell that it's not a Michael Sweet only thing. This is a George Lynch project. Right. So it's Sweet and Lynch, and they've put out two albums. I believe what I heard from things that I read with Michael Sweet is that this is done. So yeah, they're, they one. probably will not do, well, they did two. Two, two but they, done. they probably will not do another because Michael Sweet wanted to tour and wanted to make this a band. George Lynch has moved on to the three other projects that he had lined up. Yeah. So that's not really what Michael Sweet's into. So anyway, it's it's Michael Sweet on guitar and vocals. George Lynch, obviously, on guitar. James Lomenzo, uh, who was ex-White Lion, ex-Megadeth. And hmm. Brian Titchy, who is ex-White Snake. And Brian Titchy is also this just amazing session drummer that everybody's used. So it is a true super group. And they put out this album, the first album, I believe, in 2014 and maybe 2015. And it's one somewhere around there. Somewhere we'll there. call it. We'll call it around there. How about that? Mid teens. It's it's listed in the the notes that I have it in both years. So apparently they released it twice. <laughs> it was <laughs> December thirty first through January first. <laughs> but being that it's uh, you know that it's a mixture of Striper and Doc, and it it comes across sounding as such. Okay. So it, so it sounds ready, a little bit more of a throwback kind of sound. By Aquanet. But it also has more of an AOR vibe. So it's almost like Michael. Sweet is doing a little journey kind of deal with this. And I don't know if you know, but uh, Michael Sweet actually sang with Boston for a while. With them or in, in place he of was Tom? In, in place. Oh, well, okay. Yeah, in, in place of Brad Delp, who, oh, who Brad, passed yes. away. Yeah. So yeah, Michael Sweet was in Boston for a while, touring with Boston. So he's got that AOR kind of thing he can go he, into. He can handle that. Obviously, he's a, an amazing singer if he's been in that band and as well as in Striper. But they, like I said, they released two albums. Now see here, I have 2014 and 2017, and then on the other page it says 2015. Somewhere Who is there. doing this research? Where staff. are people? Our staff. Our staff We're going to fire some people. We yeah. are firing some people That's into it. this show. That's it. We're going out there and firing some people. A couple of people are losing their jobs. Dio tonight. is sleeping on the job. <laughs> this is off the first Sweet and Lynch album. The song is called Time Will Tell. <laughs>
voice. That's been 35 years after Striper was really big, and that guy's voice still sounds amazing. Yeah, you should hear the new Striper. Seriously, the new Striper is super heavy, and his vocals are just still out of this world. Not many singers are able to maintain that. The ones that had the really high register, as you get older, your vocal cords kind of harden up a little bit, and you know a lot of people can't hit those notes, and he doesn't sound any different. That's amazing. When most bands would get softer, usually as they get older, they've yeah. actually gotten heavier. Nice. Okay. <laughs> you should I'm, check I'm, it out. I'm, I'm game for it. <laughs> I will take a heavier striper, yes. Are you drinking tonight, by the way? I wish. I wish. Um, I'm drinking. Hydrating. I wonder if we should pause. I'm, I'm about to piss you off, Robert, a little oh, bit. Bring it on, man. Uh, it's been one of those days. I like hitting the head with a two-by-four. <laughs> Got a concussion over here. I don't know what the hell's going on. So I'm going to do a little backstory, and then we'll get to where I think you're probably going to be like, ugh. But uh, okay. just bear with me. I'm here. ready to okay. go, ugh. <laughs> Crossing the clown. Oh, oh God, these kids. Ah. <laughs> All right, so we talked about docking earlier. We said that by 89, they had split and Lynch Mob was formed, and then they put out a couple albums, and then Don Dockin was off doing his own thing. Well, in 1994, right in the midst of the grunge era, five years after Dawkins had disbanded, Don's management suggested to him that he reach out to George and the rest of the Dawkins boys and see if they can't put something back together. And we did. So we got mortgage payments. Can y'all just yeah. get along for one more tour? <laughs> exactly. So so they did. They actually lasted three albums. Now, That's only right. only the diehards would probably know this because at that time, I think most folks had, had either moved on or they just weren't following hair yeah. bands at that time. It was a really tough time for those bands. But the first one that came out was actually a really good album, and that was kind of a hairy album released in 95, and then they did an acoustic album in 96. And the last one they did in 97, before George had his just complete shit fit and was done with Don again, was... <laughs> It was more of a, I would call it a grunge album, is really what it was. It Uh-oh. was it was George trying to do what was current, and Don hated it, so George liked it even more. And there, were, there weren't really leads, there weren't the typical George Lynch leads in it, and it was kind of a dirgy, depressing Dockin' album, which doesn't really flow with who Dockin' is. That was it, and that, they called it quits, and they, haven't, they hadn't played together again until recent years, like within the last two, three years, they did some reunion shows, mm-hmm. I think in Japan, and then I think in 2020 they were supposed to do a tour Oops. with Lynch Mob and Dokken. The coronavirus is the nirvana of the 2020. Yeah, pretty much. It killed, killed, killed them all again. Killed them all a second yeah, killed time. Killed them all again. But but so Don was done with Dokken, and George was done with Dokken, and George really rebelled against trying to do something that to him was rehash, I think. And so he wanted to be more current, and he put Lynch Mob back together, and I think he tried to do kind of the old Lynch Mob at first. They did like an E P with the original Lynch Mob guys, and then he's just fired everybody and said, nope, I'm going to do a whole new Lynch Mob. The year was 1999. What was going on in 1999 in the heavy world, Robert? Uh, uh, um, Something nooky, cookies and stuff like that. Nookies and milk, yes. Yes. Um, Did it all for the cookies. Something so new metal was new metal was yeah. in vogue, yeah. and uh, we got a whole new Lynch Mob in 1999. Did they have a DJ? They put out a, an album, <laughs> and they you got a lot. They got a lot of younger fans by doing this album. Okay, um, can't fault them for that. Now, after this album was out, I think George maybe came to his senses, and he would he went on a little short hiatus after this. Yeah. But I'm just gonna play it, and oh, okay. um, you just. You just soak it in. 
Lynch Mob. The name of the album is Smoke This. Uh, oh. And the name of the song I'm going to play for you is called Chrome Plated. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> Thank you. 
Don't throw anything at me. Uh, okay, so where do I start? I didn't hate it completely. Had its moments, I, it, right? It was most of the vocals. It was about two minutes too long. Uh, but <laughs> True. comparing that to the other songs that were out at the time, think about the huge difference. Not the vocals. Forget about the vocals. That sucked. <laughs> Sorry. Not a fan of the MC he had, huh? No. Uh, but think about the bands that were playing. Limp Bizkit. They were just open-tuned uh, and not even playing chords. They were playing very rhythmic. Noise. Yeah, it was very rhythmic. rhythmic. Mm-hmm. So there was melody in the song. You had to look for it, but it was there. And plus, you had the leads at the end, which, once again, yeah, I could have cut out some of that. But yeah, so I didn't hate it as much as some of the other bands that were just blah, 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 the same open power chord throughout the entire song. Like There were no chord changes back then. Right. It was the most insane time period. With that low B on the bass. And the yeah. And, and this is when you and I started really playing rock music together every band we played with every band we played like with this and it was so funny because we were considered what alternative <laughs> and we were the least alternative band we were just a ever. rock band yeah we we're just a rock band but because we were just playing rock that had lyrics and that had a chorus and we had leads and fun stuff that we pop were considered hooks. alternative pop yeah. hooks yeah. yeah so i'm glad we did what we did it was not what everybody was wanting at that time period but i still stand by it and i'll do it again in a heartbeat and I prefer to listen to what we did all day of the week versus the rap crap that we had to put up with down back then. So, so yeah, he, he gave him an E for effort for trying, and I'm sure he, he had some fun playing it. This too. I think this was a George Lynch palate cleanser. Yeah, exactly. After, after Dokken. After dealing with Dokken again. I can totally understand wanting to do something completely different, F you, and then go back to doing whatever you want to do then after that. Well, so this this actually did fairly well, especially live. They I think they got quite a following from a lot of younger fans who didn't even know who Dawkins were. Yeah, they didn't care know? about that. So this was, you know, helped his career, helped him have a little bit of a rebirth, at least with the a younger generation mm. that didn't even know about him, really. There was a handful of new metal bands that I, I dig. Now, one thing I will say on this song is they completely ripped off corn in the chorus. I mean, oh, yeah, I was going to get to that. Ripped off there was very formulaic, yeah, and the chord progression and the the notes and that he sang and just this tone of his voice and everything. Yeah, it completely. I can't think of the the song, I'm sure somebody got the life, got the life, maybe, yeah. But, um, anyway, so that being said, I, I would have loved to have seen this version of this group with Seven Dust and Stuck Mojo. If you had those three on a bill, I'd be happy. I'd buy a ticket. That, that's the new metal to me that stands out. I, I actually bought this back when we were in Big Jack Pneumatic. Uh-huh. I thought, oh, a new Lynch Mob. Awesome. <laughs> and you went, what? And I never played it for you <laughs> because I listened to it once. <laughs> yeah, Robert's not going to like this. But yeah. I have revisited it years later, and it's actually decent. It's not recorded very well. I will say this song, the reason I chose this song is the guitar sound a little less dirgy on this song he than the rest of them. to tone down the... Yeah, I think it was the, the tune down or what, whatever he was doing, but... Something in the mix. It's really weird in the mix. We're, we're going to cleanse our palates now. Yeah, I need some okay? saltine crackers. I mentioned earlier that there is a vocalist who, if I were putting together a band and it's not Doug Pinnock, the next guy I would call would be Corey Glover. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. So, in 2018... There is a project put together called Ultraphonics, and it features George Lynch on guitar, Corey Glover on vocals, Ooh. and the rhythm section from the Latin funk rock band War. Do you know War at all? I know what it's good for. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
Sorry, I can't resist. <laughs> Absolutely nothing, in case you're wondering. So Lowrider, you know the song yeah, Lowrider? Yeah, yeah. Yes, way back, yeah, way back. Way back in the day, but yeah. they've been a band through the years. And okay. anyway, he's got whoever the current rhythm section were at that okay. time, he's got them on this. So this is where you will hear that George Lynch can do a little bit of funk. Oh, I'll take that. And it's really cool because Corey Glover, again, he, he, if he and Doug were together and they were singing the phone book, I'd, I'd you know, pay for the double album. Anderson C. Smith, <laughs> 100 now the Pine other, Circle. The other cool thing about this is when I listened to this the very first time, it, it, it hit me right away. I'm like, that's Angelo singing from Fishbone. Oh, that Angelo. Angelo Moore from Fishbone. I'm like, that's him. It's got to be him. And then I looked in the album. I've got the vinyl, and there's nothing in the liner notes. Hmm. I, I looked online, and Mystery. I couldn't find anything. And the only thing I found was a French article that I had to do a little Google hmm. translator where they talk about Angelo is on this song. You're right. Why would they not mention him in the credits? Because I got to pay him. When it, I guess, but it's Corey Glover. Like they're good friends. You're like a damn musical detective, man. That's an, you get a little badge and walk around like. Well, I heard the voice. I mean, you no mistake. In, there's you no, tracked it down. Man. I did. There's no mistake in the voice. Right, and then to to find out that they did not give him credit Kevin just didn't Eugene make sense. Williams, musical detective. So Angela, I'm getting you your money, man. That's right. Anyway, ten percent. <laughs> I'm going to get you the, all those that Spotify money. That's right. Your 10 cents is coming, 83 buddy. cents total. Yeah. yeah. So this is Ultraphonics. I'm going to play Counterculture because it's got Angelo on it, and the name of the album is Original Human Music. Enjoy this. <laughs>
if you recall, I said the previous George Lynch song was about two minutes too long. That one was could have gone on three or four more minutes. And I would have been perfectly fine with that because just like you, those guys could sing the phone book. I'm okay with that. They could get some recipes off of Betty Crocker's website, just sing those, and I'm cool with that too. And then you throw in a, you know, a riff once in a while from uh, Mr. George there, and that'd be fine. That, that I can groove to for a long time. Yeah, you would you would dig that album. That whole album is just great. That's It's and, it's the best of, yeah, it's not quite as noodly as Cult of Personality right. and all that, but it's still grooving hard rock with soulful, funky uh, vocals. It's the perfect marriage. Yeah, it really is. It really is. Who knew that George Lynch could kind of get that funk? I mean, it wasn't complete funk it, rock, but man, he, he yeah, mixed it, it in was really good. well. It was grooving. And, the, and really the, lead, the lead was a different lead for George Lynch. Yeah. So just... He can get groovy, let's just say he's that. phenomenal. The guy's phenomenal. So I have one more song, and I want to end it. I don't want to play a docking song, but I'm going to play a docking song. But let me let me explain. So let me check the rules here. I don't know. About yeah, yeah, don't know. yeah. We check the rule. Check the rule book. While they, I'm okay, no, they said they said you could. The referees over there said oh, did, you could. Okay, you know, the judges. Judges are giving you thumbs up. Ding, ding. Okay, cool. So Lynch after after Doc and Split, Lynch started working with the bass player Jeff Pilson again, and it was kind of in between a, a Lynch Mob thing that he was doing, and you know he dabbled in new metal, and they put out an album as as Lynch and Pilson. And then he went on and did some more stuff. Then in 2012, they brought in Mick Brown. So now you have three quarters of Dokken in a group. And they decided, hey, why don't we re-record some Dokken stuff without Don? Just to really, really piss him off one yeah. last time. With, without Don? Because Don had his own version of Dokken going on at the same time. Oh, so he, he was they, doing the same thing. He was putting out Dokken albums without George Lynch and okay. without Jeff Pilson. And Mick Brown, I think, was playing and double duty. Oh, and so they decided to re-record some docking stuff, and they decided to write some new material. So what they did was, and again, it's just another punch to Don, I believe. What they did was the new material, Jeff Pilson sang it, and he sings very, very much like Don Dockin would have. Mm-hmm. I mean, their voices are very similar. There's a reason that he was so great on the backup vocals, because he's a great singer. And then the docking songs that they re-recorded, they brought in guest vocalists to sing them, and they brought in... Uh, well, I'm not even going to tell you who's singing on this one, but I'm going to play. All right, I'll see if I can get it. See if you can get it. But they have several guest guest vocalists, and um, let's just say they're all really good singers. <laughs> and the song I'm going to play is one of the heaviest docking songs there is, which is the opener on Back for the Attack. It's called Kiss of Death. So heavy song needed a heavy singer. So see if you can guess who this is. <laughs>
I could feel the energy level in that song pick up the moment he started singing. You can't be in a room with that guy and he starts singing. And I mean, if I was a guitar player in the same room, all of a sudden he starts singing. You want to play the best you can to back that. You knew who that was, right? Mr. Ronnie James Dio. G? (laughs) Was it Bruce Dickinson? No. Judas Priest? Maybe. Rob Halford? No. no they, all, they all sound the same. You know, come on. <laughs> no, I, I, it sounded like Ronnie James Dio. Who was that? No, that was Ripper. That was the Ripper. Oh, he sounds like everybody else, too. <laughs> he said, It sounded like, I, I swear it sounded like Ronnie James Dio. No, that was the Ripper, man. Yeah, so that was, let's see, that was 2012. Was Dio, I can't remember when he passed away. Uh, I didn't say. It was about that. Been around, yeah, around that there. time. Yeah, 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 so that was Tim Ripper Owens, okay. who was. Still d- damn good. Who replaced Rob Halford right, and Judas right, Priest right. for a, a while. But right? like I said, when he starts singing, the, the energy level of that song kicks in. I know they're remaking one of their original songs, and I can see him like, oh, okay, here, we're going to do this. And all of a sudden, you get that singer going through there. He just added a lot to it. Yeah, and let's just say they. Um, added a couple of notes maybe that Don Dockin didn't sing in that. Oh, yeah? <laughs> a couple of octaves up that he couldn't hit? Yeah, totally. So the, I didn't mention the name of the band, and the reason I didn't is because I said I, I thought they were kind of jabbing it at Don a little bit with uh-huh. having different guest vocalists who were all great vocalists on the Dockin songs. Well, Don got them back with the name of the band. So originally they were going to call the band Tooth & Nail, is that it a reference was, to something? That, that references Dawkins' first platinum album. Uh-huh. It was called Tooth and Nail. And they were going to call the band that. And he Don went. got the legal team involved. Uh-huh. And Lawyered up. the last minute, they had to change the name of the band to T&N. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think it was those guys just going at each back other. And forth, back, back and forth, back and forth. I mean, they really they just like never each other. No, they really don't, obviously. That's an epic story in and of itself. How come nobody's made a movie of that? Come on. They I, should. I'd watch that. Yeah, it's the, got it's got everything. The true you need in the movie. dirt. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what I have for you, man. George Lynch. You asked for it. We got it. Yes. And the man is incredible. He, he, he deserves more attention than he gets. Like I mean, it, he, he's not un, he's not obscure, but still, he gets passed over when people talk about great guitarists. He does. I mean, the fact that he was what number sixty something on that's guitar crap. world. That is crap. There's no way. No. No way. He should be at least in the top twenty. The top, the top ten with the other list. I was happy with that. Yeah, exactly. So he's got so much material, again, that we could do another three episodes mm. like this. So maybe we revisit George Lynch at some we'll point. in January. But I thought it made sense to do a little Mr. Scary. Mr. And you need Scary. to go look up Mr. Scary. You yeah, need to look okay, up the guitar to see what it looks like. But it's, it's, it's an amazing guitar. guitar so anyway, we're getting closer to Halloween. So I hope you enjoyed the Mr. Scary episode. Whoa. Next week, who Check knows what we have in store. You ready to get out of here? Let's do it. I'm going to end with a little outro music from a certain horror movie. Mm. Let's see if any of our listeners can tell us where this comes from. Later. Just sitting there and you were all quiet. What are you doing?
Run it, James D.O.G.